This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. I think it's very hard for us to put aside the niceties, you know, and to not want to really say what we really think or to build a case like this before God. I have found that to be really hard. But the moments that I can point to in my own story where I have kind of laid all that out before the Lord have been remarkably healing. Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com, a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, singer and songwriter, Sandra McCracken, and we get a chance to talk to Sandra about her new song, I Will Sing, and the album that will be coming up, as well as how worship is so integral to our growth as the disciples of Christ. I'm pulling a fast one on you here. <laughs> but okay. you, you earlier, you had opened up Psalm 89. You said you had the Bible right there in front of you. And yeah. you had Psalm 89 open. I could tell you're gearing up to talk about it. So what if we read Psalm 89 a little bit? Of it? It's a long <laughs> Psalm. But what if we read a little bit of it? And just, I would love to hear some of your reflections. And I'll ask some questions along the way. And you know, I, I do know the Hebrew, so I might even. I just was going to say that you like that. need to. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not. Like, tell no, us. no, no. In no way am I going to start expounding oh, text here at all. That's not me. I'm just curious. Would you be willing to do that? Is that something you. Well, sure. We can okay. explore that for a minute. Well, this is funny, but I have a book. Uh, Robert Alter it has a translation of the Psalms that I just really love. Yeah. And it has commentary. Yes. Are you a fan? Yeah. <laughs> so oh, it's not Hebrew, listen, and I don't know okay. Hebrew, but it's the closest I'm going to get. Shameless plug for Robert Alter. His work is phenomenal. He is really a wonderful scholar who has translated the Hebrew scriptures into English at such a excellent level. Uh, I I like you even more now, Sandra. That you that's the that's the book you're using. His work is legit. <laughs> so that's well, not the version that I have in front been, of me. Yeah. So you may want to read it in you know. ESV or something that you have, yeah. and then I can kind of throw in a few of his translation phrases as we go. I think that'd be so neat. Let's do that. I'll read the ESV, and then as we go, if you're like, oh, let's let's take a look at how Robert Alter translates it. I think that'd right. be really neat. So, okay, so here we go. Psalm 89. If you guys are following along on the podcast and you want to turn to your Bible, I'm reading out of an English Standard Version, uh, another good translation would be the NIV, or if you have Robert Alter's translation in front of you, that also is a good one. That's an excellent one. Yes. So here we go. Verse verse one. Well, it's, it, the title is A Masculine of Ethan, uh, of Ethan the Ezraite. Ethan the Ezraite. Uh, and there's only two Psalms written by an Ezraite in the whole Psalter out of the 150. So that's kind of fun. And wow. Etan's the only one. So I will sing. Here we go. Verse one. This is how your song opens up, too. I love this. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. 
So this is how your song starts out. Does Robert translate that any differently? Or do you have any thoughts or reflections um, on it? He talks about the word faithfulness um, in the, let me sing of the Lord's kindness forever for all generations. I shall make known with my mouth your faithfulness. And then there's a footnote um, commentary on the word faithfulness. The Hebrew word, I don't know how to say it. Emunah. Emunah. You got it. You got it. Faithfulness, trustworthiness, dependability, and fulfilling obligations is the key word of this psalm. It's repeated eight times in the poem with an additional two occurrences in adjective form. So the reiteration of this term also suggests why these scholars who claim that this psalm is all different genres. Okay, so he goes on with like some some more nuance but the idea of dependability and fulfilling obligations is both convicting and comforting to me right now because we're in this season where everything is disruptive and most days i am like i don't know what day of the week it is and i don't know if i'm doing all the things that really matter or if i'm just like underwater with like laundry piles and whatever else you know and i would say like in this in this strange time, it is so good to hear that the Lord is dependable and fulfilling obligations because I am not. Faithfulness right now has that kind of resonance that brings significant comfort to me when I feel like I'm kind of falling down on the job and I don't even know what the job is. <laughs> you know, do you ever have that? So that's that really resonates. And then down in verse five, when you're reading, what does it say? I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. I love this word build. The Hebrew says build, stand strong. There's a sturdiness to his commitment to his people that when I read that and tell me if this is accurate, but when I read the Psalms, I think of the Psalms through the lens of Jesus. So like all like so God is making this promise to the Lord, to Jesus in this way, and we receive it by our union with Christ. So when he says, like, I'm gonna establish all these generations, he's protecting the integrity of his people. Yeah. even though we are not the ones that are fulfilling our obligations. <laughs> like, And so um, I think the juxtaposition of those two things is really good to hear today and to think about even the generations that are represented in my house, like all the craziness that goes on in 24 hours with our family of five and we have family that's nearby and like inevitably family is messy, right? So when I think of the generations and I think about God establishing his purposes for us, it's really good news because it's messy in the middle of it. And I'm just glad to hear that. Amen. Amen. I I can't agree with you more. The thing (laughs) I love here about the opening is this guy, Ethan, we'll call him Ethan, our man, Ethan here. He's singing a song to the Lord. He, He points at God and says, basically, you've said it. You said it, God. You said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David. It's like Ethan's reminding God. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, God, remember? And so in a way, like what you said earlier about the Psalter giving us permission, the Psalter gives us permission to remind God of his mm. promises. And here he's made a promise to establish the throne of David, which does get established through Jesus forever, mm. for all generations that you and I are now engrafted and part of. And it's a mm. beautiful thing. Mm. Would you say that that in addition to the Psalms giving us permission to feel that it is a pretty uh, repetitive theme for the Psalms to also give us permission to ask God to hold true to what he's promised? I think you're exactly right. I think the Psalter gives us permission. It's almost like teaching us how to speak to God. Mm-hmm. 
And here we we're seeing that we have permission here. We should feel freedom to remind God of his promises. Moses does that all the time in the Exodus story. God's constantly fed up with the Israelites and he's about done with them. And Moses is like, wait a minute, God, if you do this, like what's your namesake going to be now for all the other nations? They're going to be like, you pulled these people out of Egypt only to destroy them in the wilderness. And so Moses has this, this method towards God as well of like reminding God of his promise. And I think, you know, for me as a Christian, I'm constantly asking God, I'm reminding God, like, you said you're coming back, right? You said your your kingdom's coming. Like, we mm-hmm. want to see it come, Lord Jesus, come, right? We, I think we have permission to turn our face towards the Lord and, mm-hmm. and humbly ask the Lord to remember his promises. And here, the psalmist saying, remember your covenant. And I think it's beautiful. This is one thing we haven't talked about in this psalm, but I love this part. In verse 10, he jumps to yeah. creation images. Would you yes. want to read some of that and talk yeah, a little bit that. about that? Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness, your amuna, right? In the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to you, Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Oh, a God great to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. I find that one of the practices that helps me to find like that inner stillness is being out in the woods or taking a walk or going somewhere in creation that just reminds me, like if I would love to live by an ocean, I don't live anywhere near an ocean, but being being juxtaposed with create, like being out on the edge, right? Or seeing God's power through creation is, is also a reminder of who he is, who we are giving us this perspective. And I think these verses, do I understand that right? Rahab, this would be a reference to like mythology, um, like a sea creature or something like that. You got it. Yep. Exactly right. So in the ancient world, the understanding of the sea was that it was this untamable chaos and mess. Uh, yeah. What, what God can tame the chaos, and, and that becomes very true in our life, right? What God can tame mm-hmm. the chaos. And if you remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the middle of the boat in the middle of the raging storm, and I think it's verse 35, uh, and he says, peace be still, right? He stills yeah. the raging sea. And then what does he do? He gets to the shore, and he gets out of the boat, and in chapter 5, who does he meet? He meets the raging demoniac man who's in the tombs trying to cut himself and kill himself because he's plagued by these demons. And immediately, what does Jesus do to that man? He stills the raging sea in that Mm -hmm. man's life. And it's this beautiful picture of what God does. And we see it here with Ethan's psalm of saying, look, man, God, you are the one that stills the raging sea. Mm -hmm. And you crushed Rahab, the one that lives in the sea, that sea dragon monster that, like you said, is in mythology and rears its ugly head all the time. You, oh God, have crushed Rahab. That is powerful language. It is. And so there's an exploration of creation. But then Robert Alter's translation of verse 10 is, you rule over the tide of the sea. When its waves lift up, it is you who subdue them. And I think when I hear this language of creation and then I hear a verse like that and the idea of 
the sea creature. And I think about the internal life that we experience that needs to be subdued. I think about like all the tug that with our sin, with our sickness, with whatever is going on, there is a sense that God is also Lord over all of that. And so I, I think that the double layer of that, both the, the view of creation and the way that that speaks so personally to who we are. And when there's like a, a flood of waves, which could be your emotion or your circumstances, it's all in there together, you know, and it kind of all speaks to different parts of our lives. It's comforting. And what this Psalm, you, you already know this, I'm sure this Psalm is going to end with some very intense verses that are kind of like a lament. It's a questioning of God because it apparently yeah. God is absent. Um, and if we have time, we'll go there. But when he's opening up here in these verses and talking about mm-hmm. creation, Ethan is in a way like, hey, God, remember, this is who you are. You have your covenant. Mm-hmm. Remember, God, you're the God of creation. Remember, God, you're the one that's ruling over the raging of the sea. Mm-hmm. And for many of us, I wonder if that's sometimes what we need to do in really trying circumstances. It's just take a breath mm-hmm. and try to remember some of these truths about mm-hmm. who God is and what God is like. And yes, we can turn the corner and get to a place of saying, God, where, where are you? Because mm-hmm. we thought you calmed the seas, but mm-hmm. you're not seeming to be here right now. I mean, have you ever had a moment in your life where you feel like there's just been this delay, this limbo? You kind of alluded to it earlier, but... Yeah, I would say yes, absolutely. And I, and I at the time, those seasons... I would identify them as like a wilderness of sorts where you're not sure you feel kind of foggy and your prayer life might seem kind of hard to access. Like you don't know how to actually talk to God and you don't know what steps you're supposed to do next. There can be kind of like a paralysis to that kind of time. And to know that that's, that that is part of the human experience. That's part of the walking through this life as we know it. And the promise that's, I think it's in revelation. Let me check the verse. Um, Revelation 21 and the very beginning of that chapter says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the ESV for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I heard someone talking about the actual language. The sea was no more as a reference back to this kind of imagery that the restoration of all things, it means that that chaos of the sea and the sea monster and the internal struggle, all of that will be quieted before the Lord and that he will bring about like a piece that we we have not yet seen in full, right? That we've seen in part. And I think that's good news, both on a physical and emotional, spiritual level. I can't agree with you more. That is a beautiful point. And yes, there will be no sea. And everyone shouts hallelujah. Everyone shouts praise mm-hmm. God, because that is good news. Like you said, yeah, I love that. Let's keep reading and see what else pops out and then I don't know maybe we'll have you sing sing the song I saw you had your guitar there maybe we'll, yeah, we'll let you close up our time yeah. with the guitar do you want do you want to jump to the end or should we yeah let's do that let's think he turns the corner in verse 38 and I want to I want to jump there and just hear some of your thoughts because this man Ethan is in a difficult spot so I'm in verse 38 I think it'll be your verse 39 now you have cast off and rejected You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. 
all who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? So I don't know what kind of commentary he has on some of those verses, but I am just struck by how accusative Ethan has become here on the heels of his assertions about God's faithfulness and steadfast love. He's turned a corner here in verse 38. He's questioning God, right? He's, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? You know, I want to go back to something you said, Sandra, because you had said the Psalter gives us permission. And I'm reading this right now, and it's like, wow, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a world where I wasn't told I could pray like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was told that I could approach God with this type of emotion, frustration, mm-hmm. anger, feeling upset. Mm-hmm. And here Ethan is showing me that actually you can. The Psalter allows mm-hmm. us to, right? Mm-hmm. Has there been a moment for you where you realized, like, I have the green light here to say mm-hmm. some really intense things to God and to, to challenge him a little bit. Yeah. And I can think of, I'm just hearing you ask that. I can think of a few able to kind of break through the niceties. Like if you've ever seen the apostle and you know, that movie where I think it's very hard for us to take, to put aside the niceties, you know, and to not want to really say what we really think or to say, to build a case like this before God I have found that to be really hard. But the moments that I can point to in my own story where I have kind of laid all that out before the Lord have been remarkably healing. And I I don't think he's been surprised by the things I brought before him. And he's I've experienced God's compassion in that. And that there's something, and I, I don't know all the theological ins and outs of that, but in my own experience, there's something in that transaction that is what he's asking for from us is to really tell him what you don't know if you'd be okay to say at church on Sundays, you know, Anne Steele, one of my favorite hymn writers, she has hymns this way. Like she has one dear refuge of my weary soul. And she had a, a lot of struggles in her life. And she um, would write a song like this. And the, the hymn starts with dear refuge of my weary soul. And she says on thee, when sorrows rise on thee, when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. And then she'll go to the point of doubt. And like Peter on the beach, she goes to this point and said, where else would I go? You know, yet gracious God, where shall I flee? You are my only trust. Yet still my soul would cleave to thee, though prostrate in the dust. I think this like honesty and authenticity is something that is typically like beyond our religious experience and beyond what, you know, that exchange on a Sunday morning when you're like, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. It's like, no, you're not fine. So let's be real about it, you know? And so I think seeing it in this context, I guess you would know this in more detail, but like the Psalms would have had a historic meaning. So he's talking about the, the psalmist here is talking about specific things happening in his life. Yeah. And yet they have a prophetic meaning where when I read that, I think about the way that Jesus was the one like in verse 38 or 39 was the one who was abandoned and spurned. And so when I read this context and I bring my petitions before the Lord and my pleas for 
his compassion, I'm also understanding that even though I deserve to be abandoned because of Jesus, because this was, you know, authentically prayed on my behalf, perfectly prayed on my behalf, I received that. And so I'm not abandoned. And I think that's the reason. It's not to glorify or to elevate our protests. It's because the protest brings us close to a God who has shown mercy upon mercy. And that we find ourselves as all of the characters in the story, yeah. you know, the perpetrator and the one who, <laughs> who yeah. needs to be lifted up and who has been oppressed. We're all of that, all of those things. I love your insight on that. This is about being authentic. That's what God desires. He's always desired that from us. In discipleship, that's what he wants. In our small groups, that's what he wants. And then I love how you've brought this full circle. And the robust theological understanding of this is, yes, we can see Jesus as being the one who has been cast off and rejected in our place. And we can see some of these words even in Jesus' mouth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's felt these things. Let me read the last couple of verses here. And I'm wondering, Sandra, if you would be so gracious and play a little bit. Uh, I know we could go and listen to it on YouTube, your songs out there. and But there's something kind of fun about, you know, play it here and it'll maybe even glitch up a little bit on the Wi-Fi. But it'll be a powerful moment, I think, for us. If you wouldn't mind just being willing to play. I'll read the last few verses here, and then why don't you play a little bit of I Will Sing. I have just really appreciated our time together in this conversation. I'm walking away with things to think about myself. So verse 49, I'll start here, and he asks the question again, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness, your imuna, you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, your servants are mocked. And how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. But, and this is what he says in verse 52, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. All lament can always end with praise. So let's end it with some praise here and return us to the beginning and remind us that we need to be people who will sing.
Sandra, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much. In the spaces of the words where there's no saying, I'm sitting there just thinking and breathing. And I thought about what you said in the very beginning. Remember, we're breathing. And remember to be conscious of the ways God's love continues to permeate every corner of our lives. We are grateful for you. Thank you for what you're doing and uh, all your comments and insights. Appreciate it. This was such a rich conversation, just being able to like sit with the scripture together. So yeah, isn't it? That's that's as simple as that, right? All we need, the ingredients are are scripture and and maybe a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate it. We're really looking forward to your album coming out. You said it's October. Yeah, October. Um, Patient, Patient Kingdom, right? That's right. Yep. We've got oh, I- um, one more song coming like next week called You Are With Me. So they're just a couple of songs we'll roll out between now and then. But um, the okay. whole thing will be ready in October. All right. Well, God bless and have a great rest Thank of your you. day. You too. Thank you. I'm Oliver Hersey, host of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. We want to thank all the ministry leaders out there who have tuned into this episode. If you are finding this podcast to be helpful to you in your ministry, would you please share it with other ministry leaders and, and do us another favor? Would you rate us right after this episode on iTunes? We appreciate that. And as always, if you need more ideas or resources, we hope that you'll visit smallgroups.com in order to look at our books, our Bible studies, and other training tools that might be helpful to you as you continue building your small group ministry. You can also subscribe to get unlimited access to great materials that will help you to train leaders and also get ready for the next ministry season. Until next time, my friends, God bless. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.